Our second reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and this reading will be the focus of our message. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here ends our reading. You know, today, As we hear these words from Paul's letter to those Christians in Corinth, we hear those two groups that are vying for his attention, vying for for whatever attention they can get such that they can hear from Paul, well, what they want to hear. One group, we're told, the Jews expects and demands signs. They want a miracle. They want proof. They want evidence from Paul that what he's teaching is true. And as far as that goes, I think that makes good sense to us. Evidence of what you preach, evidence of what you teach would be valuable if you're going to ask me to follow this guy named Jesus. The other group, though, is the Greeks. And from Paul, they want wisdom. They want clear teaching. They want insight. They they want to walk away and think, I can share that nugget of wisdom with my friend. I can convince people with what Paul has taught. And apparently in Corinth, they saw these two demands in conflict. You can either be eloquent and wise, or you can be preaching with signs and power. If you do one or the other, if you only do one, you should do wisdom, some said. And others said, if you only do one, you should do signs. They were divided over which is most important. Now, set aside that question, which is most important, and I think you can agree that these kind of demands are familiar to us today. 
We know people who demand signs. We know people who demand wisdom from the church. It's not at all unusual for people to come to us as Christians and say, give me proof, give me evidence that what you're teaching is true. Likewise, it's not at all uncommon for people to expect of their pastors, of their churches, clear teaching, wisdom for their daily life, that application point at the end of the sermon such that you can walk away and live a slightly better life than, the day, than when you came. Yet Paul, well, yet sometimes I should say, we don't have either one to answer. People come to us and they say, why? Why is God letting this happen to me? Why is God allowing this to happen in the world? And we just, we, we have to throw up our hands and say, I don't know. I don't know why that's happened. I don't have the wisdom to answer that question. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Other times, people come to us and say, prove your claims. Make it clear to me. Make it evident to me. I want indisputable proof. And we try to offer our evidence. We try to offer our proof, but sometimes that doesn't always satisfy, does it? It's not easy in these moments to feel at a loss, to not know what to say. It's especially not easy when they walk away from the church as a result. Well, in these moments, I think we should pay extra close attention to what Paul is saying to the Christians in Corinth. For Paul says, yes, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we, we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In saying all of this, Paul recognizes that, yeah, sometimes that cross doesn't seem all that powerful. A dead man, crucified, not typically what I think of when I think of power. Likewise, a king who has been rejected, abandoned, who claimed to be a teacher, but his own closest disciples and followers and friends, they betrayed him? That can't be wisdom. There can't be wisdom to offer there. Paul calls it a stumbling block for good reason. There's lots to stumble over in this claim, in this cross. Yet Paul still argues that the cross is the power and wisdom of God. For God's wisdom isn't like human wisdom, and God's power is not like human power. And Paul argues this is intentional. God set it up this way knowing that His actions would not meet human standards for wisdom. His power would not meet human standards for power. And yet, He chooses to do things the way that He does to demonstrate the limitations of human wisdom and strength and to demonstrate the, well, the infinite power and wisdom that He has at His disposal and which He offers to us. So don't miss what Paul is saying. When we hear these demands for evidence, when we hear from our world demands for wisdom, we shouldn't be ashamed. We shouldn't shy back and hide the cross from them. No, the cross 
is our answer. It should be our first and foremost answer. It's not worldly wisdom. It's not worldly power, sure. It's better. It's the opposite. And if we've ever been tempted to change that message, to make it palatable to the world, to make it more comfortable or easier to swallow, Paul warns us that we're at risk of robbing that message of the power that it really has. So Paul says, be careful about trying to fit God into a box. Be careful about trying to fit the cross and the message of its power into a box, because if you do, you might just do the opposite of make it easier to receive and better for the person that you're trying to reach. But I'm afraid, as true as everything I just said is, that's only half of the sermon which we need to hear today. For if Paul were here today, I'm afraid that 1 Corinthians might be about four times as long, because our world is not just divided between Jews and Greeks. One side wanting signs and another side wanting wisdom. No, our politicized and polarized and consumeristic have-it-your-way world is divided in about 30 different directions for about 30 different things, all of which say the church should preach the way I want it to preach. It should teach what I want it to teach. That You know, the best way to preach and reach our world is this. The best, no, no, no. The best way to preach and reach our world is this. And they all disagree, don't they? Some in our world say that the church needs to preach justice for the oppressed. Reach out to those who are downtrodden. Lift up the victim. And yet others, others want to hear freedom and liberty. They both point to Scripture. Liberty to the captive and opening of the eye to the blind. Freedom for the oppressed. Justice. All of these things. They both point to Scripture. They say, look how clearly God teaches my priority. And yet they're not alone, right? Some other voices in our culture demand love and compassion and forgiveness from our preaching and our teaching. They demand, and they demand that we, we extend that warm welcome. And yet there's other ones at the same time, equally loud, who say, no, we need the rule of law. We need clear proclamation of sin. Everybody should know what God wants from them, such that wrongdoers can be punished and know what's coming for them. And yet there are still more voices, more voices who want different things from our church, who just honestly want to feel good, because the world out there is rough. The world out there is full of all kinds of difficulty and hardship and trial. And when I come here, I just need a break from all of that. I need a release from all of that, and consciously or unconsciously, there are many in our culture who seek out churches which will tell them that it's all going to be all right, that it's going to be okay. And before I go any further, I'd like to reiterate what I said just a short while ago. All of these, all of these are biblical themes. All of these are, 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 are straight out of the pages of Scripture, just like wisdom is filling the pages of Scripture. And you can find power all over the pages of the Bible. You will find freedom and peace and love and compassion and justice and judgment everywhere you turn when you open your Bible. You'll find plenty of justification for 
saying that this should be part of the sermon. <laughs> this should be part of our message. But it's not just a question of what should be part of the message. But for Paul and for us, the question is what is central to, most important to, our message and our teaching. For when we look to the church, when you come here, what should you hear ten times out of ten? Well, Paul says it is the cross of Christ. For if we say that the most important thing for our preaching should be justice, and we look to the cross of Christ, what are we going to find there? doesn't look like worldly justice to me. What are you going to see? You're going to see an innocent man condemned to death and a group of people, schemers, who silence him and want him out of the picture because they're tired of what he has to say and they're tired of hearing it. If you look to the cross, are you going to find freedom? No. No, Jesus' death is forced upon him. In worldly terms, politicians and schemers have maneuvered to make this happen and to bring him out of the picture. And you might say, and rightly so, that Jesus chooses his death. He does. He goes to the cross willingly. But even that doesn't look like the worldly freedom that we value. No, he's tossing aside those life, liberty, and, and happiness which we so value as the American dream. He's doing it willingly, but he is giving them up. And if you demand love of our preaching and make that the central thing and you look to the cross, what are you going to find? You're going to find a man rejected by his friends, betrayed by them, going to find a son forsaken by his father. Again, that doesn't look like worldly love, and many in our culture find that offensive. You're certainly not going to find in the cross a feel-good moment, escapism, that release. No, sin hangs on that cross for all the world to see. All of the problems of this world open and out there. No, instead at the cross what we see, first and foremost, is Jesus, the Christ. And indeed, when, when we look to the cross, we, we see all of those other things too. We see love, we see wrath, we see law, we see justice, we see freedom and wisdom and power and more. But it is when we look at the cross through Christ that these find their true and fullest meaning. When the light of all of these things hits the prism that is Christ, they burst out into color. They burst out into, into the radiance that all of them should be and could be, but in our worldly terms so often are not. For to us who are being saved, Christ is justice. He is. For as Paul calls him in Romans, Jesus is the very righteousness of God, the one who fulfills the law perfectly and fully for our sake. And for us who are being saved, Christ is love. He is. And in two senses, first in the sense that God is love, but also in the sense that He demonstrates the fullness of God's love toward us, for He dies the death that we deserve, that we might have life. 
We see the riches of God's love when we look to Jesus on the cross. Jesus is also the one who shows us true freedom, freedom in Him. For the death He dies to sin, He dies once for all, that we might be free of the condemnation of sin and live the fullness of life. In Christ, we find true freedom. And that's why, all of these things are why in Christ we find true blessing and happiness and peace and release. Yes, Jesus' cross is a stumbling block. It's difficult if you make all of those other things most important. But Lord willing, when we come to the cross of Christ, when we're gathered here at this cross, and we stumble because we've brought something other than Jesus today, Lord willing, we stay down there. We set whatever it is we brought, <laughs> whatever concerns or fears or worries, we set them at the foot of the cross, and we leave them there. And we take that opportunity down there on our face to worship and praise and receive that very gift of peace which passes all understanding, which our Lord offers to us and promises will guard our hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we bring so many things into your house each and every week for worship fears and concerns, anxieties, conversations we had in the week past, things we wish we wouldn't have said, things we wish we could have said better. As we bring all of this to the foot of your cross, help us to leave it there, to hand over our burdens to you, and to receive the burden which Jesus promises is easy and light, an opportunity to come and worship, an opportunity to come receive that peace which he has to share with us and with the world. These things we pray in his name. Amen.